You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on January 13th, 2019. A reading from the Gospel of Luke. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached the good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added this to them all, that he locked up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There are a lot of people who achieve unbelievable fame and success at a very young age. You can think of, I'm sure, a number of child stars who have been movie stars or have been gymnasts or have uh, been, you know, all kinds of things happen to children that, that make them famous, that put them in front of the world's eyes. And everyone can see that this child is special. They have a special gift. They have a special talent. Um, and it's amazing to see these gifts that God has given them out in the world. Some people are singled out at a young age to be something in particular, like it's pretty hard to be an Olympic figure skater if you don't start when you're about one and a half years old. Same with with being an Olympic gymnast. You have to be dedicated from the the time you're about, you know, even Caleb's age. You could learn how to somersault or something, and then eventually that somersault would would turn into, you know, the rings or uh, one of those gymnastic events. You have to start very young to do those things. And so sometimes people see these talents in young people at a very young age, and they craft them and they shape them and they hone them. Uh, hopefully without too much parental pressure, into something uh, pretty amazing. Sometimes we also think about in high school, the potential someone might have. And so I don't know, I don't think we did this at my high school, but I've heard in many high schools, people vote in their senior year about who is the most likely to succeed, who's the most likely to be wealthy, who's the most likely to wear purple shoes, I don't know. There's all kinds of things that we think about and, uh, and, and vote on for seniors in high school. But I wonder how many of those things actually ever come true. Like if you, if you were to look at high school yearbooks from senior years and then compare that to the people 20 or 30 years later, how many of those things that we voted on about them would come true? Sometimes I bet it happens. And other times, I bet it doesn't happen. And I'm wondering today about Jesus. If Jesus had a high school, and I don't think they had high school in Jesus's day, in fact I know they didn't, but if Jesus went to a high school, what would people have thought about him? 
what are some of the things they might have said about Jesus? That Jesus is most likely to do, I don't know, was he most likely to become a rabbi? Was he most likely to be the Messiah? I think most people didn't have these things in mind when they were thinking about Jesus. And certainly when we widen the scope out a little bit bigger, Jesus was from a tiny little town called Nazareth. I don't think most people in Palestine, most of the the Hebrews, knew anything about Jesus for most of his life. It wasn't until this moment that we read about in the gospel today that Jesus started attracting some attention from people. Sure, there were a couple things from his childhood that we know about, but really the things that we know about Jesus' childhood are few and far between. We know, for example, that he was born in Bethlehem. We know that his parents' names were Mary and Joseph. We know that they fled to Egypt because there was a danger for Jesus in staying in in Bethlehem. And we know that he impressed the teachers in the temple courts at the age of 12. And we know that he grew up in in, um, Nazareth and that his father was a carpenter. That's pretty much everything we know about Jesus from the time he was born until the time he was about 30 years old, which is where we pick up the story today with this baptism in the river. But when this happens, Jesus does indeed get revealed as something very important. Not that he wasn't those things before, but in this baptism, God the Father declares for everyone to hear and see who it is that Jesus is. He says, this is my beloved son. With him, I am well pleased. But Nazareth, the place Jesus came from, was kind of a a nowhere place. It was out in the, the backwoods of Galilee. It was way off in the distance. It was a place people didn't think much about, to the point where, even after his baptism, when Nathaniel hears about Jesus and, and his brothers telling him that this, this might be the one, this might be the Christ, he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? When I lived in Pennsylvania, we make, used to make uh, West Virginia jokes. And it's kind of like saying, can anything good come from West Virginia? Now, there's beautiful things in West Virginia. Don't get me wrong. Lots of wonderful people in West Virginia. But that's the kind of thing Nathaniel was saying. So everything changes in this moment of Jesus' baptism. And this moment is important enough that we see it in all four Gospels. The Gospel of John kind of refers to it. It's not quite the same way, but all four Gospels show us something about this baptism and how important it was. So this account in Luke is very brief. We see that Jesus was baptized. We see the heavens opened up. We see the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, looking kind of like a dove. And a voice comes from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Father's declaration that this this Jesus, Joseph's son from Nazareth, the carpenter's son, this is the Son of God. And God the Father is pleased with him. This is a declaration from God the Father of the true identity of Jesus. He was this person from before time began. He's the only begotten Son of the Father, and he's eternally begotten of the Father. There was no time before which Jesus didn't exist, and there was no time before which Jesus was not the Father's Son. But for a long time, people didn't know who Jesus was. And so the Father in the Gospel today declares that this Jesus 
is his son, the second person of the Trinity, the Messiah, the one everyone had been waiting for. But the other important thing about this is that this is Jesus' commissioning for ministry. We know, especially in the Gospel of John, that Jesus never did anything that his father didn't tell him to do. He didn't do anything that he didn't see his father doing. And so Jesus waited humbly, patiently, until this moment when God the Father says, go, now is the time. And so he launches out into his earthly ministry, doing all kinds of amazing things, teaching, performing miracles, healing people, raising the dead. Jesus was a remarkable person, and he starts to attract attention, but not until he was 30 years old. Now I want to think a little bit about our baptism, the baptism by which we all come into the church. Our baptism is a little bit different from Jesus' baptism in some important ways, but there are also some important parallels. I think the the biggest thing that distinguishes our baptism from Jesus' baptism is, of course, this idea of what baptism is. John, the baptizer, John the Baptist, is in the wilderness baptizing people, and in verse 3 of the Gospel of Luke today, we didn't read this, but this is what it says. It says, He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's what John's baptism was all about. It was about repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, we know that Jesus was not a sinner. Jesus is God. Jesus had no sin. So it's a little odd that Jesus is participating in a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And he does it not to be cleansed of sin because he had no sin, but to prepare the water for us. This is, in a way, the beginning of baptism. Jesus' institution of baptism, he prepares baptism for us. He goes into the water and he sets it apart and makes it something special for our sake and to fulfill all righteousness, as it says in some of the other Gospels. So John's baptism was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. That's what our baptism is as well. Jesus had no sin, but we do. And so when we enter into this water, as I was telling the kids, our sin is washed away. This is an important thing about baptism. Repentance is our part. Acknowledging our sinfulness is our part. God's part, the grace part, is that God does the washing away. God does the cleansing. And so in baptism, our sin is washed away. Another thing about baptism is adoption. This is one of the things that makes Jesus' baptism a little bit different, but also parallel to our adoption, to our baptism. Because when Jesus comes out of the water, the voice from heaven, we talked about this already, says what? This is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. Jesus went into the baptism waters as God's son, and he comes out and God declares that that's who he always was. That's who he always was. When we go into the waters of baptism, we go in separated from God, alienated from the Father, and we come out as beloved sons and daughters of God. We are adopted into God's family. This is one of the big things that happens to us. And when someone is adopted into a family, they go from having no family to having a family. And they retain all of the same rights and privileges and responsibilities of a naturally born child in that family, a biologically born child in that family. 
they become just as every other child in the family. And that's what we become when we are baptized. We are adopted into God's family. We become sons and daughters of the Most High God. One of the signs of this is that after baptism, we anoint the person who's just been baptized with the oil of chrism. We have three oils in the Anglican Church. It's the same as in the Roman Catholic Church and and many other churches. The three oils that we have are, first of all, an oil for healing. That's what I use when I put oil on your forehead and I pray for you, or sometimes our prayer ministers might do that after communion when they pray for you. There's oil for healing. Then there's oil for exorcism. We're going to use that one today before baptism. That's the one right here. And exorcism is not what you think of when you think of the exorcist. We're not talking about, you know, you know heads turning around and all that weird stuff. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about setting someone apart and saying that the devil has no authority in their life. It's asking every unclean thing to depart from that person. And so to prepare someone for baptism, we first use the oil of exorcism or catechumens, as it's sometimes called. And then the third oil is the oil of chrism. Now, to understand the oil of chrism, we can look at the psalm that we read today. The very first verse that we read, verse 20, says, I have found David my servant. With my holy oil, I have anointed him. Now, if you remember the story of of David, maybe you don't, but David was the greatest king in the Old Testament. He's the king that everyone looks back on and says, oh man, if David could just be the king. He was the guy. And he was replacing a king who was no good. And so when he becomes king, he doesn't fully become king, but when he's prepared to be the king, when he's set apart to be the king, the person who does so is Samuel, Samuel the prophet. And Samuel the prophet goes and he finds David and he figures out, he hears from God that David is going to be the guy to be the king. And what does he do? He pours oil on his head. That seems like a funny thing to do, but that's what they did in the Old Testament, and that's what we do even today. The oil that's used when a monarch is crowned in England at their coronation, before they're crowned, they're anointed with this oil of chrism. So when we anoint someone with the oil of chrism, what we're saying is that they have been set apart. They have been declared something special. They have actually been adopted as God's sons and daughters. They are part of the royal family of God. You are part of the royal family of God if you've been adopted into God's family through baptism. And so we'll see the oil of chrism on Caleb's forehead this this morning. We're anointed with something else as well, though. And the anointing with the oil of chrism doesn't just symbolize what we've become as adopted children in God's family. It symbolizes also that we have been anointed not just outwardly with oil, but also inwardly with God's Holy Spirit. In Jesus' baptism, the Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove. He already was in relationship with the Holy Spirit because he's part of the Trinity. So he was eternally in relationship with the Trinity. He didn't have the Holy Spirit come upon him suddenly. He was already in relationship with the Trinity. But when we are baptized, when we become Christians we receive the Holy Spirit inside of us. We become temples of the Holy Spirit. And so God actually comes to live inside of us, to empower us and strengthen us, to help us live the Christian life, to convict us of sin when we turn away from him. The Holy Spirit does all kinds of wonderful, marvelous things in our life. 
and the Holy Spirit is given to us in baptism when we come to faith in Jesus. Now you might be asking, if baptism is all about repentance and faith, why do we baptize babies? It would be hard for Caleb to express repentance or faith at this point in his life. And to that I can say a couple of things. First, I don't think we give children as much credit as they deserve. I think children have far more faith than many adults, actually. And Jesus said this. He said, you must have to have faith like a child to become part of my kingdom, to be my follower. You have to have faith like a child. But beyond that, it's not just the child's faith. It's also the faith of their parents and their godparents or sponsors. But before we get to that, I want to talk about the Old Testament again. In the Old Testament, there was a special rite that was performed that made someone a part of the covenant family of God. And that rite was circumcision. Now, I'm personally thankful that that's not the rite that we use anymore, because I think that would hurt. But in the New Covenant, we have a different rite, and the rite is baptism. By circumcision, someone was made a part of the covenant family of God. If you were a boy, girls got a, a free ride on this one. They were just part of the covenant family of God. Boys had to suffer a little bit in this case. As Christians in the New Testament, we have a similar right by which we become part of the covenant family of God, and that is baptism. And so just as in the old covenant, a baby on the eighth day after they were born had this mark made in their flesh that made them part of God's covenant family, so also when a child is a baby, we welcome them into God's covenant family. So there's an Old Testament precedent for welcoming children as part of this covenant family. And they don't do that in isolation. They do that in the presence of a Christian family and the Christian community. And so when a child is presented for baptism, their parents stand with them because they represent the Christian family and their intention to raise that child in the faith. But their sponsors also stand there declaring that they are going to support the parents and support that child in their life in Christ. And then if you notice, and you'll see this in your bulletin, you all have a role to play too. Whether you're a parent or a godparent or not, you all have a role to play. And so in the liturgy, you will be asked, will you who witness these vows do all in your power to support this person in his life in Christ? And you will answer, we will. We will. Because we don't have faith on our own. We don't have faith in isolation. We have faith as part of the Christian community. We support one another in our faith. And so that child, when they're baptized in their infancy, when they can't do hardly anything for themselves, they have the faith of the community and the faith of their families surrounding them and supporting them and praying for them and raising them to know and love the Lord. They will have to accept that for themselves at some point. That's why we have the sacrament of confirmation. That's their opportunity to stand up and say for themselves, this is what I believe. I've accepted this for myself. But until that point, they are part of the covenant family of God. They are part of this covenant community and a part of a covenant family that's raising them and pointing them towards Jesus. The other thing is that because a child can't do anything for themselves, it exhibits perhaps even more remarkably than when we baptize an adult, the fact that this is not something we do, this is something God does. God welcomes us into his family. We don't choose him, he chooses us. 
And because of that, each of you can rest in the knowledge that you are chosen by God. But this brings me to another thing. And before we get to that, let me ask you about where your dream vacation would be. If you could go anywhere in the world, what would you go and see? For me, I'd want to see some natural beauty. I want to see uh, some of our national parks. I want to see Alaska. I'd want to see Hawaii or the Grand Canyon or something beautiful like that. I'd love to see some of those places. I have seen some of those places. I'd love to see some of them again. So pick out that spot in your mind. Where would you go if you could go anywhere in the world? Now imagine you're getting on an airplane and you're flying there and you get off the airplane and you take a a bus or a taxi to your hotel and you go into your hotel room and you sit on your bed and you turn on the television and you watch TV for two weeks and then you get back in the bus and you go back home. You'd get home and say, what happened to my vacation? Or maybe, what did I do with my vacation? We could ask the same thing about our baptism. A friend of mine, Dr. Leslie Thyberg, was once walking on a a pilgrim road called the El Camino de Santiago. It's in Spain. And this is a pilgrim road that leads to the coast of Spain where the the Church of St. James is. This is the place where uh, we believe St. James may have been buried. People have been walking on this road for hundreds of years. And it's hundreds of miles. It takes uh, a long time, like a month or two, to walk on this road from where it starts to where it ends on the coast. And along the way, she saw a rock, and on the rock was written in French, which is kind of interesting because this was in Spain, but on the rock was written in French, and she translated it for me because I don't speak French. It said, what are you doing with your baptism? That's a good question to ask. What are you doing with your baptism? When we witness the baptism of a new Christian, when we witness Caleb's baptism today, we wonder and we see this child or this adult, and we say, what is God going to do in the life of this person? As they become part of the family of God, what kinds of ministries will they participate in? Whose lives will they touch? How are they going to grow in the knowledge and love of the Lord? We wonder these things about a person being baptized. And so as we wonder these things about the person being baptized, let's also wonder in our own lives, what are we doing with our baptism? How are we living into what God has made us? Baptism isn't just a moment to look back on and say, oh, that was nice. It's not just a photo opportunity. It makes a difference in your life. It changes you. You become something that you weren't the day before. To be a Christian literally means to be a follower of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus. And to be a disciple in Jesus' day was a very particular thing. There was a whole culture about rabbis and disciples. And the whole point of a disciple was to become in every way like their rabbi. It wasn't just to to get the information their rabbi had to give. It wasn't just about books and writing things down. It wasn't just about some form of a catechism. It was literally about becoming like their rabbi. And so they would learn to dress like their rabbi. They would learn to eat like their rabbi. They would take on the mannerisms of their rabbi. They would become like their rabbi in every way. And that's what we're supposed to do as Christians, as followers, as disciples of Jesus. We're supposed to become like our rabbi Jesus in every way. 
to become more and more like Christ as we live out our lives. In the book of Acts, chapter 10, Peter's giving a sermon. And in this sermon, he's recounting the life of Jesus and some of the things that Jesus did. And he says, this is chapter, we read this this morning, chapter 10, verse 38. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He's referring to Jesus' baptism. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, and God was with him. For God was with him. That's what Jesus did. Jesus taught people. He went about doing powerful, amazing things. And this is what it says in the Gospel of John. Jesus is preparing his disciples for his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Jesus isn't going to be with them any longer. And he's encouraging them at the Last Supper. And this is what he says to them. This is in chapter 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. We are supposed to be like Jesus. We're supposed to do the kinds of things that Jesus did. We're supposed to pray for people. We're supposed to teach people. We're supposed to welcome people into God's kingdom. We're supposed to support one another. And why? Jesus says, because I am going to the Father. He has us here to carry out his work, to literally be his hands and feet. We are the body of Christ. We all have a part to play in this body. We all have jobs to do. Some of us are hands, some of us are knees, some of us are right ears. We all have particular roles and functions within the body of Christ because we are his followers, his disciples, becoming more and more like him. We are disciples of Jesus. We are part of his body. Baptism is a gift from God for you. It's a gift of his grace. It's not something you earn or deserve. It's something he freely lavishes upon you. But what are you doing with your baptism? When God called Abraham to be the patriarch of his covenant family, the great nation of Israel, what he said to Abraham was, I will bless you. And then he said, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God didn't bless Abraham for himself. God blessed Abraham so that everyone else would be blessed. Certainly, Abraham benefited from God's blessing, but that blessing wasn't just for him, it was for all of humanity. And similarly, when God lavishes his grace upon you, it is not just for you. It is for the person sitting next to you, it's for everyone in this room, and it's for all the people you know in your life who don't know Jesus. You have been blessed with God's grace to be a blessing. Now, I'm not saying this to make you feel guilty. I'm saying this to inspire you. You are a child of God. You have been adopted into his family. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. 
and God has called you to some great things. But be encouraged. In the words of Isaiah, the prophet, as he spoke about this one who was to come, Jesus, he said today, we read it today, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. And so if your faith is wavering, if it's ever been wavering, this message is for you. Just because your faith is wavering does not mean God is ready to crush you. It means he wants to fan that flame back into flame. He wants to take that dimly lit ember at the end of the candle and help it burst into a glorious light once more. God wants to do that in you. You have been blessed to be a blessing. You are a child of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, that you were willing to send him into this world to take on human flesh, to live and die for us. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to live into our baptisms, that you would help us as we question today, what are we doing with our baptism, that you would answer the things that you're calling us to, that you would show us the way we would go. And we pray, Lord, that you would fan into flame, that you would stir up the Holy Spirit within us and help us to go forward with power, relying not on our strength, but on the gifts that you have given us by your Holy Spirit. Cleanse us, renew us, sanctify us. Take what's broken and mend it. Take what's faint and dimly lit and help it burst into glorious light. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.